Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review. And for those of you who have never heard of us before, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. We are back this year in person for the first time since the pandemic. That will be November 6th through 9th, 2023, at the Terranea Resort in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. It will be beautiful, it will be mind-bending, and it will be a fantastic place to form new connections, develop new partnerships. We really hope you'll join us there. Now, the other arm of our business, Strategic News Service, provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. If you enjoy these updates, we hope that you will sign up for the Strategic News Service Global Report using the link below. Now, today we're gonna to be switching things around a little bit, um, and I am actually going to be interviewed by Evan Anderson, who, in addition to playing the very important role of my brother, many of you will have noticed that this is a family company, is also the CEO of Invent IP, which is an initiative that we started focused on fighting nation-sponsored intellectual property theft, um, and as well as being an analyst himself for the Global Report. So um, you'll see that we're going to be talking today about TikTok, which has a lot of overlap with the Invent IP mission. Um, and was the subject of my latest global report, uh, which was called TikTok, the end is nigh or something like that. <laughs> yeah, an overlap, meaning not that our interests overlap, but that uh, they come up in conversation often, right? <laughs> um, so Barrett, this week you wrote about TikTok, which was an interesting uh, topic to do, uh, I think probably given 15 other things in the news cycle right now. Um, but you did something that we do uh, specifically and usually out of great confidence, which is that you made a prediction. And you said essentially that in the next few months, something would change. I mean, I think for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, there's been a lot of talk about doing something about TikTok in the United States, um, given its status and its parent company ByteDance's status as a you know, potential national security issue now downloaded into people's phones. And so you said that you thought in the next few months, we would actually do something more serious to stop usage of TikTok in the United States. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yes. I think in the yeah. next three months, the federal government in some combination will do something to severely limit ByteDance, either remove them from the, the app stores or to make block their financial um, ability to make financial tra transactions in the United States, essentially kind of putting them out of business here. Yeah, and this is in contrast, just for anyone listening to the, the government already restricted the use on government devices. So if you're right. a US government employee, you can't, but Barrett's talking about the consumer markets here. Um, what made you think that that was going to happen now? Why now? Well, so there are a couple of things going on globally that um, have made have brought us to the point as a as a country, and I think has brought the government, both Congress and the uh, federal administration, to the point where it is no longer deniable the potential for TikTok as a source of influence in the upcoming U.S. election, mm. or the ability and desire and ability of China to execute on influence in foreign elections. So historically, you know, we've for a long time been worried about Russia's influence in elections is something that I've written about extensively um, around misinformation and information warfare. But over the last couple of months, I think it's become very clear to more and more people that number one, anything that Russia is doing internationally should be considered a part of China's strategy globally, even if they're not themselves doing it, right? So the invasion of Ukraine there's a reason that China has not come out aggressively against it 
or even unaggressively against it, right? Um, and there's a reason that the United States has been so strong with China about, by the way, don't you can't give Russia any weapons. Meanwhile, the two countries are working in partnership with Iran and North Korea to transfer intellectual property, weapons, uranium, um, testing, energy, information, intelligence. Um, and they're working in, in concert as part of a larger partnership to undermine Western democracy. So in the last month, really, we've seen this accelerate and we've seen China become a lot more aggressive as a part of this partnership, right? So as early as the 2022 election, or sorry, I'm sorry, as early as the 2022 Olympics, uh, China and Russia released a statement in partnership saying, we are together, we are working together, nothing anyone does essentially can undermine that. No matter what happens in other countries, we will always be working together. Mm -hmm. um, a friendship forward, statement, as it were. Right. They, you know, some U.S. politicians use CNN to launch things. China chooses to host the Olympics and use that as a platform for their major international campaign. Um, but we've seen that kind of alliance and the acceleration of China and Russia working together against the West and particularly against the U.S. accelerate in the last couple of months. So we watched, you know, a couple of, you know, we had the Chinese spy balloon, which I think was really kind of a test of an incursion into potential U.S. airspace. How far can we get? Um, we saw six Russian jets intercepted by NORAD over U.S. airspace or um, we saw, you know, a couple of other things happening. And then over the, not this last weekend, but the weekend before, North Korea actually tested a nuclear weapon or nuclear missile that landed in Japanese air, in Japanese waters and was um, said by Japanese officials to have been able to easily reach pretty much any part of the U.S. Sure, yeah. So at and the same time- And you have all these things happening simultaneously. Right. right. Is your point. And then within the UN Security Council, a move to immediately after that happened, the Monday after that happened, that happened on a Saturday, on a Monday, the, the UN Security Council had an emergency meeting to address this. There was an initiative to kind of sanction North Korea, push back on North Korea. Both Russia and China moved to block and veto that as permanent members of the UN Security Council. So we're in a position now where we're seeing an accelerating pattern of aggression an accelerating coordination between those four countries and the inability of the United Nations to do anything about it. They're essentially neutered yeah. by the fact that both Russia and China are, are permanent members of the Security Council. Now, at the same time, there was Chinese, I mean, not Chinese intelligence, Canadian intelligence released a report two weeks ago mm -hmm. um, that detailed election Chinese kind of incursion and influence into the last Canadian election. And it detailed the ways that they paid, they essentially funded um, campaign candidates. volunteers yeah. for specific candidates who were more likely to be pro-China. Um, Trudeau, his party was uh, supported through these initiatives. He has denied that they had any impact, but the Chinese, or, I'm sorry, I keep saying, misstating this. Canadian intelligence is pretty clear that there was some illegal activity that took place, including illegal funding of Canadian candidates through Chinese um, intelligence networks. Yeah, um, so they're becoming extremely active. I wanna, I wanna jump here quickly 
I think you did a good job just now synopsizing all the different reasons that people might be concerned about the intentions, right, of the PRC government. Right. Um, and of what we always call at SNS the Crink Alliance, um, which is an informal, sometimes more formal, sometimes less alliance that I think is now uh, pretty much hard to argue with um, exists between Iran, North Korea, China, and, and Russia. Um, what about TikTok is so threatening? Like, talk about that a little bit, because I think a lot of people that I've talked to, the, the, and I tell people the same thing, right? I'm like, don't, don't download TikTok on your phone. Come on. Um, but people go, well, you know, what do I have that matters? Why would it matter if, you know? Right. So tell I us think about one that. of the mistakes that the U.S. government has made in the past in thinking about TikTok is that they have made the point of concern around surveillance instead of influence. So TikTok is an app that you download to your phone. Clearly, it has the ability to become an always-on microphone in anyone's home in the United States, right? And it's kind of because it's targeted at youth and it's so widely adopted within the youth community, maybe a little less sensitivity to privacy, less likely that it's that that your child will download that in your home if you are working on something, you know, secure or of interest to China. Um, and therefore, you may not even know that 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 possible avenue is in your home for right. surveillance. But if anyone, if we've learned anything from watching the manipulation of of U.S. culture during the pandemic, during the last election cycle, the focus on political polarity, um, the attempts by Russia to um, influence people's voting behaviors, um, and the coordinated effects of that. You know, we had during the 2016 election a situation where Russia was able to organize protests on both sides. Yeah. In real, you know, like in Florida, they organized one side of the protest and then they coordinated the and other they side. They bring the people to fight them. Yeah. And then they, so. And so, so chaos, which right. is the mission, right? Yeah. And I think, um, especially within the United States, TikTok is really important because it has such a huge population of US users who are youth. Um, in the last election, the midterm election, guess who was the deciding factor? between Democrats and Republicans. It was the youth vote, which swayed primarily towards Democrats. Now, we both know that China and Russia hate the Democratic Party, especially in the United States. They have a person, Russia has a personal vendetta against uh, Hillary Clinton and the sanctions that were passed during the Obama administration. Um, yeah, I know there was a Chinese fault. The Chinese government, I think, is just, I, I would say, really always looking for advantage where they can find right. it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And if you have the ability to swing an election one way or the other, which they do, and you combine that with the fact that a huge majority of TikTok users actually use it as their main source of news, that is yeah, a that's... huge potential for swinging a giant, in fact, the most influential voter block in the United States that's just like a wide open door at the moment. And it's because of what they can do with the app, right? I mean, like, one thing that I guess people may not understand is that it's it's algorithmically based and those who control the algorithm will be able to control therefore what you see what kinds of content right. comes up for you right. um etc so that mixing with the idea that people get their actual news from it that they they think that they're learning you know a, a relatively trustworthy set of information from it i mean you may be but someone's affecting how much of what you see right on what topic 
in what you know at what time of day in what and it could be that um, the videos you're seeing are not you know intended to themselves are not themselves propaganda but you can affect someone's someone's you know state of mind yeah like if i show you only pictures of violence for six hours what's your mood going to be right okay so you're saying that the main concern there is definitely um well, I don't think you said it wasn't to do with surveillance, but but rather that the biggest concern should probably be that you could influence the entire culture or, you know, a vote or something along those lines, much more in kind of a classic information warfare way than in terms of trying to specifically use the app for surveillance. Exactly. Um, and here's the other thing. So the United States has has really kind of, I think, for a long time, believed that China tries to be more hands-off when it comes to interfering in elections. Like they're less likely to interfere. They're less likely to get involved in that kind of a direct way. They prefer to build things economically around the world and create these kind of insidious uh, networks that way. But for the first time, we now have direct proof that they're very willing to conduct influence campaigns in our neighbor to the North, Canada, right? And so why would that be any different in the United States? Right. Which is yeah. which they consider their direct kind of foreign adversary. Okay. So you've talked about, I think, most of the things that that are critically important in your piece. But there's another piece that you talked about, which is Project Texas. Is that it? Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. So why is it important? Project Texas is TikTok's. The, TikTok has been working for a long time. You know, they have done a lot to try to remove the facade. Um, that they are related in any way to China, right? They hire- Or creative facade <laughs> that they are not. Right, right, right. Yeah. Clearly they're owned by ByteDance, a Chinese company. And they've been put going through all of these, these um, machinations, if you will, to try to appear less Chinese. They want to appear like a friendly American kind of company. And that's, you know, all of their employees are working, you know, they're all American and therefore they're fine. But it turns out that when your ownership structure is still controlled by the CCP, that's that's never going to be true. Yeah. Um, so part of this machination has been they've been working with the U.S. Committee on um, Foreign Direct Investment. I believe that's the right. Foreign Investment board. in the United CPS? Yes, exactly. Working um, with them? Yeah. So they've been working on a potential solution with them, which is called Project Texas, in which they would partner with Oracle. Oracle would be responsible for reviewing their algorithm, and they would be basing... a their data team, all everyone who's responsible for U.S. data um, in the U.S., they would all have to be reviewed. Um, they would all either have to have green cards or private citizenship or U.S. citizenship in order oh, to- Oh, I see. It's a way to circumvent CFIUS. Avoid- No, regulates they on this in partnership with CFIUS. So this has been something they've been trying to do to make sure that they don't get shut down. Ah, <laughs> okay. Interesting. So all of their data, all of their U.S. data would be hosted and reviewed by Oracle. Oracle would mm-hmm. also review their algorithms to make sure that they were fine. Um, and then, you know, they have this thing about everyone in their data team would be have to be a, either a U.S. citizen or have a green card. Um, there's a problem with that approach. There are many problems with this approach. But um, all of this is to say that uh, as we have seen in Canada, Number one, the definition of someone being a Canadian citizen or having a green card certainly does not prevent them from being influenced by a foreign entity. Or taking money from one. Or taking money from a foreign entity. Um, Number two, 
even the engineers within a company don't know why an algorithm makes the decision that it makes. So the idea that Oracle could review and oversee its algorithm to avoid any kind of interference is laughable. Um, number three, ByteDance, the parent company of, of TikTok, has become one of the, the fourth highest lobbying contributor among internet companies in the United States. Uh -oh. So they spent the fourth most amount of money on U.S. lobbying last year. And what's fantastic about this in a terrible way is that they have employed that same strategy that they used in their in their kind of like senior leadership among their team to hire a wide range of U.S. politicians, including Trent Lott and like a former Obama staffer and like all of these people to be their lobbyists be the public face of, in yeah. D.C., so that any government official who might be kind of, you know, like nervous about taking money from a Chinese national, foreign national, or they're like, oh, this is just U.S. politics as normal. Anyways, that's that part is not actually about <laughs> about Project Texas, but it's it is a corollary. But to it's part of this. It's part of the same system. And what you're right. really what you're really telling me here is that they're this is actually a common tactic, but it sounds like they're putting a lot of money and effort into it, which is to create a uh a an, an american face that will help hopefully convince u.s consumers that there is Lawmaker, not u.s lawmakers especially yeah and lawmakers we started with consumers and then we went to lawmakers that there is not uh you know a company based in china subject to chinese national security laws which mean that they have to act as an arm of the government whenever the government wants behind all this or running all this um, and even if it's just to, you know, put a PR spin on it, they're trying really hard to put that PR spin there. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So anyways, to get back to the point, Project Texas has been this kind of thing they've been working on to be like the workaround for having to shut down TikTok mm -hmm. with the FIUS. Very problematic. Very problematic, okay. in my opinion. All right. I have one more question for you. A ton of people have spent a ton of time on TikTok. A lot of them have a lot of followers or whatever, you know, like they're, they've got a whole brand there. They've got their whole marketing team working on TikTok to, I just heard it come up in another call where someone was wondering if they should have a, you know, marketing campaign on TikTok. What if you've already spent all your time and effort? What am I supposed to do now? Should I just get rid of it? Is that all sunk cost unless I want to just be part of this machine? Um, what would I you recommend I do? <laughs> Pardon? I have one word for you. YouTube. <laughs> Snapchat. This podcast was uh, even not Twitter. sponsored Blue by Sky YouTube. Blue Sky is a new Snapchat, app from the Twitter the from the from the replacers of Twitter uh or from the originators of Twitter backed by Jack Dorsey. So, yeah, I would say start doing what you can to move your audience to other platforms because it's very likely that it's going to become a lot harder um to continue on with tiktok in the near future all right well i think the uh that kind of circles back to the overarching method message here which is tiktok probably not long for this domestic u.s market world right <laughs> thanks evan thank you